Good morning. Our reading today comes from Mark 4, um, starting in chapter 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God. Thank you, Stephanie. Well, good morning. You may have a seat. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Uh, few, fewer of us this morning, and I think a lot of that, first of all, it's uh, going into a holiday week, and I know a lot of our people, uh, maybe even you in this moment, are not feeling uh, 100% health-wise, so I do want to pray for that, uh, pray especially in, in this season where we have colds and flus and things circulating that uh, we can be protected from severe Ill- illnesses, uh, and so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, pray for our time this morning in Mark 4 and uh, for the body. Father, we are so grateful to be gathered again under your good care and your name. We pray that uh, you would help us to understand your word. You have given us your word. It's a living and active word. It's a a word that penetrates the depths of our hearts. Um, And so, uh, Spirit, we we pray you would do the work uh, for us to not just understand it intellectually, but have it really affect our hearts. Uh, that our hearts would have more and more love for Jesus Christ because he has first loved us. God, you are love and you care for us and by your grace you've made, us, made a way for us to be in your presence, to uh, be able to behold our good God. And so we pray that that is exactly what we do this morning. Pray for my friends who uh, perhaps are not here this morning because they're not feeling well. I know several of our people are under the weather. Just pray for restored health. Pray that you would comfort the afflicted. I pray that you'd protect us uh, from, from colds and flus and all the illnesses that are around right now. I uh, pray that uh, you would protect us certainly from despair and the evil one who is always desirous for chaos, despair, lies, and confusion. Uh, we pray against that. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So yeah, we've been in the Gospel of Mark now for the past several weeks. And uh, thankful very much for Matt Lensman and Dave Bruskus for taking the past couple of weeks to uh, preach here at City Church. And, and even preach texts that uh, maybe they wouldn't have chosen uh, if it was up to them. But I'm grateful that we were able to continue in the Gospel of Mark even over the past couple of weeks. One of the big themes that we've talked about in the Gospel of Mark is this theme of understanding. In fact, I just mentioned that, like helping us to understand the Word of God. We've even subtitled the, the whole series, Understanding Our King. And, and when Scripture speaks about understanding, it does so not just from, a, like I mentioned, an intellectual point of view only, but even understanding in our hearts. How do we, from our heart, understand who this Jesus is, who this King is? Uh, Dave talked about that even last week as we looked at the parables at the beginning of chapter 4, that there is uh, the sense that Jesus' teaching both reveals truth and conceals the truth. And so that those who would understand 
uh, would, and those who are not going to understand would continue not to understand. And so it's not just understanding that's a big theme, but alongside that is this whole idea of what Mark likes to do in his gospels, present the insiders versus the outsiders. Uh, the insiders being folks like Jesus' own family or uh, the, the religious leaders, those who surely have known the word of God. Even the disciples, like we see in this passage that we're in today, are insiders. They're hanging out with Jesus. They're around him. They are privy to everything that is Jesus's. And yet, as we will see over and over again, and actually as we've already seen, the insiders are usually in the Gospel of Mark, the very ones who struggle to understand, who really have to wrestle with what is Jesus saying and what is he doing. And in our passage today, there's a, there's a moment of crisis. Uh, we clearly see that. It's a big storm, and the disciples are wrestling with exactly who is this king, who is Jesus? What is his kingdom all about? This, this passage that Stephanie read to us that we'll be in today is uh, pretty obvious. The, the kind of theme of the story is fear versus faith. And we, we see very palpable fear coming from the disciples in this story. And, and the reason that we can associate that with faith or contrast that with faith, faith is that Jesus himself asked them, about their faith in the midst of fear. This big storm comes, the disciples freak out, they wake Jesus up from a nap. Jesus uh, awakes and first rebukes the storm, he rebukes the, the waves and the wind, and then he rebukes the disciple for their lack of faith. If you're taking notes this morning, the the main idea, which is on the handout that you should have picked up on the way in, it's in the midst of crisis, we are called to confidence in Christ. In the midst of crisis, we are called to confidence in Christ. So faith uh, versus fear is the big theme here. Or as I'm going to argue later on, I would like to look at it as faith into fear. Certainly those two, two things can uh, be in contrast with one another, but what does it look like for fear to be the gateway into faith, fear into faith? In this passage, the, the disciples start off by asking two questions. Uh, you, you might uh, be able to see one very explicitly, the other one is implicit, but the first question is, do we believe Jesus cares about us? That's exactly what they mean when they say in verse 38, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And what, what's behind that question is, Jesus, do you care about us? Are you for us? The other question that is not stated explicitly in this passage, but is certainly implied is, is Jesus trustworthy? Is Christ trustworthy? Will God really do what he says he will do? Can we trust him? I want to look at these two questions that are undergirding this passage that the disciples are asking in this moment. Does Jesus care and is he trustworthy? I want to look at those fairly briefly and then I'm going to spend most of the time with the third question that the disciples ask at the end of this passage. And this is the most important question that they ask. And it is this, who then is this man? Who then is this Jesus? 
That's a really important question that they ask. It's a really important question that we will ask as well. So on your handout, the first blank there is, in crisis, do we believe Christ cares? Do we believe Christ cares? Now, what, what exactly is happening here in the story? Clearly, uh, they all get into the boat uh, after a long day of ministry. So this is in the evening, and Jesus gathers with his disciples again. They get into the boat. Uh, we, we read as they get into the boat with other boats around. There's this great storm. This is huge storm. Waves are already beginning to compromise the boat. They're coming into the boat. And we can infer uh, from the story and what we know about the disciples that this is not uh, a rogue, uh, run-of-the-mill storm. And several of the disciples, as we know, are fishermen. And so uh, as you would be on the Sea of Galilee, there are storms all the time on that sea. And no doubt, uh, people like Peter uh, would have seen storms over and over again being a fisherman. But there's something unique about this storm. It's kind of like us in Texas. We see storms all the time. We, we see hail all the time. If you've uh, lived here a long time, you see storms come and go. And by and large, most of them don't get us in a huge panic. It's just part of living here. But if we see a Category 5 hurricane, something really, really unprecedented and powerful, this is what the disciples are dealing with in this passage, something that they've never likely seen before. And they are beside themselves that Jesus, in the midst of this huge crisis, this unprecedented storm, they're beside themselves that Jesus is asleep. He's down in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Now, clearly, they, they think in this moment that Jesus could have prevented this. I mean, that's why they're upset. They're, they're looking to Jesus, wondering, why in the world did you allow this to happen? Why did you get us out here in the middle of this big storm? And that's why they accuse Jesus of not caring. They, they accuse him in the form of a question. Do you not care that we are perishing? Why did you bring us out here to die, Jesus? What they do not yet know is that he is a king that will at times bring his people into storms. He is, he is that king that, that will at times bring his followers, his beloved brothers and sisters, into storms. As we read this story in Mark, we, we should be uh, reminded, in fact, many of you likely have been in reading this storm, that this takes us back to an Old Testament story in the, in the story of Jonah. Very similar thing happens in the book of Jonah. If you know that story, you remember that Jonah the prophet sent to uh, Nineveh instead runs the other way. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and so he tries to head to a town called Tarshish. And then as he gets to Tarshish, he finds a boat, or on his way to Tarshish, he finds a boat with mariners, and so he gets in this boat to flee Nineveh. And so I want to pick up in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us 
that we may not perish. And, and Jonah, the mariners, clearly, just like the disciples, are, are afraid. They're afraid of the storm. They're perplexed why Jonah, who they know serves a God who controls all things in many ways, they, they acknowledge this, even if they don't follow this God, but they're mad because Jonah seemingly could have stopped this by praying to his God. In our story, the disciples can't imagine why the one who is the very son of God has not done something to prevent this from happening. The disciples are essentially saying something that we say all the time. Maybe we don't say it uh, out loud, but certainly we say it in our heart or we think it in our mind. We, we say these things at the time of crisis. We, we say, if you cared about me, Jesus, you would fill in the blank. If you cared about me, Jesus, you would take away this incredible suffering that is going on in my life. If you cared about me, Jesus, you would take away that diagnosis. If you cared about me, Jesus, you would restore that friendship. If you cared about me, you would have not had me go through that. Jesus, do you care about me? And that, of course, is closely related to this other question that I propose is in this passage, even if it's below the surface a bit. The, the other question I mentioned is, is Jesus trustworthy? Does he care and is he trustworthy? That's the second blank in your handout if you're filling that out. It's in crisis, do we believe Christ is trustworthy? Do we believe Christ is trustworthy? <clears throat> we live in a in a time, uh, in many ways, that is structured around the avoidance of any and all suffering. Uh, we, we, we live in this time where uh, we quickly run away from anything that would bring any type of discomfort or any type of questioning whether or not we can have peace and calm and wholeness. Uh, we, we also, at the same time, as we're avoiding suffering, live in this culture in a time where we're skeptical about authority in a way that oftentimes we see power as a form of oppression. And so if you bring those two things together, I want to avoid suffering at all costs, and power, I'm skeptical, is a form of oppression, then we would say that any type of power that would allow something like this would be unfathomable. Any type of authority who would willingly allow for any kind of suffering is not only something that we would say that would be hard to trust someone like that, we would say you should not trust someone like that. The disciples are asking themselves, if Jesus is all-powerful and if Jesus has us out here in this storm, why would he do such a thing? And can we really trust him? A good leader would, would have had us avoid this storm altogether. Even as we read this story in, in the post-enlightenment age that we're in, uh, we, we can even read into the story, well, if they just had the right technology like we do today, if they had better instrumentation on their boat, then they could have uh, avoided a storm like this or would have known ahead of time not to get out, out onto the sea. They could have avoided this problem, but that's not what Jesus is wanting us to see here. That's not the heart of what Jesus is doing in this passage. If, G if the disciples are asking Jesus, can we trust you, then Jesus is asking from his position, do you trust me? If the disciples are thinking 
man, I don't know if we can trust this king, this Messiah, this teacher. What a wonderful teacher. He's already done so many things. He's, he's cast out demons. He has healed the sick. And yet here we are about to die and he's asleep. Can we trust him? Jesus is saying, do you trust me even when, and maybe especially when, you don't understand? Do you trust me? Why, why should the disciples have trusted Jesus even at this point? Uh, uh, certainly, we've seen him being trustworthy with, with the, the power of the gospel. He's preached, he's taught, he's healed. And so we, we have seen multiple reasons already in the gospel of Mark for the disciples to trust Jesus. But in the storm here out on the Sea of Galilee, why should the disciples trust Jesus? Well, it's there. Look at verse 35. What does Jesus say? Let us go across to the other side. Jesus said they were going to the other side of the lake. He said, let's go to the other side. Now, as they get into the boat and on the sea, this great storm comes. And now the disciples are questioning in their heart, will we make it to the other side? Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Now, it's a crisis. Will we make it? to the other side. Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the storm and the wind. The wind ceases. There's a great calm that comes over the sea. It's clear also, as, as much as we could talk about this storm being unprecedented in the life of the disciples, what another thing that's unprecedented is the fact that this is not just a natural ending to the storm. It's not like when we see a storm pass through and then there's the rainbow on the other side and we expect storms to just pass through in a few minutes. This is something supernatural. This is a, a, an awe-inspiring event. Jesus has just displayed awesome power over nature. This is the same God who spoke the very seas and all the earth into existence. This is the one who has created order out of chaos. And once again, in this passage, here in Mark 4, he displays his sovereign power over all creation. Now, you and I can read this story this morning and and, and knowing that this is the God that we love and serve, that he is all-powerful, that he is sovereign, he can control even the waves on the sea and the wind in the air, we might be left thankful, peaceful, joyful. But what are the disciples left? Fearful. They're doubly afraid. They, they were afraid of the storm, and now they're doubly afraid of the power of Jesus. They can't confine or control him. They realize that they're way out of their league here with Jesus, that even this one can calm the wind and the waves, and they are filled with great fear. Fear. The fear of the disciples is, is the occasion for now Jesus to ask them a question. Uh, they've asked Jesus a question do you care about me? They've thought a question. Is this guy trustworthy? And then Jesus asked them a question there at the very end in verse 40. What does Jesus say? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In the same account of this story in the gospel of Luke, Jesus asked it this way, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Fear and faith are the issues. Fear versus faith. So how would we, this morning, answer Jesus' question to the disciples? 
How could we answer that question? Why were they so afraid? Why? They did not understand that they were being called into a love story. This is something I've mentioned before here in our time with Mark, uh, that, that we as God's people are being called into and being caught up in to an incredible love story. This is a story, again, of a father eternally loving his son and adopting new children into this family that this is the story that we're all invited into. Those of us who uh, have faith in Jesus Christ, who love him and cherish him, we've been invited into this story. It's a love story. And as we are invited into this love story, we are invited to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior and King. But we, but we forget. This is... This is who we are as frail people, uh, as forgetful people, as people who still wrestle with our own indwelling sin and who suffer in a falling, fallen world. We forget. We forget that this is the reality, that even on this side of the cross that we have a good father and a loving, merciful brother, Jesus, who has good for us even in the midst of crisis. We forget that, but may we be reminded on the power of the gospel and with the living and active word and the power that is here even in this text this morning that we have a good father. Does he care? Yes. He is love. He is loving. Is he trustworthy? Yes. He is good. He cares and we can trust him. But what about this fear what do we do with this fear? We see it in the disciples, but surely, even in the midst of our own reflections of our own hearts, we can recognize this type of fear and dread and even cowardice at times. I've said that this is a story of fear versus faith, but I want to make the argument that I believe what we see in this story is fear into faith. Fear into faith. What do I mean by that? The disciples are clearly scared. They're rebuked by Jesus for their lack of faith. Where is your faith? But they ask a really, really helpful question at the end of the story. And the question again is, who then is this? Who then is this, Jesus? That question is the very bridge from fear to faith. If you're asking that question, that is the question that could lead to the right kind of fear that is a product of living faith. If you're asking that question, who then is this, that's a good sign. You're in the right territory. You're in the right place if you're asking the question, who is Jesus? That's the third blank on your handout is faith moves us from being afraid of God to a healthy fear of the Lord. Faith moves us from being afraid of God to a healthy fear of the Lord. In the book of Exodus, immediately after the people of Israel witnessed the incredible act of God parting the Red Sea and walking through on the other side on the dry seabed and watching behind them as they do that, the water come crashing back down on the Egyptians, killing them all. This is what it says in Exodus 4, verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. 
and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. There is an appropriate fear of the Lord. This is a Holy Spirit wrought fear that draws us into God. It fuels our worship of him all the more. There is a delightful, powerful, wonderful fear of the Lord. I mentioned this this book a couple of weeks ago. I highly commend it. It's called Rejoice and Tremble by Michael Reeves. The subtitle of this book is The Surprising Good News of the Fear of the Lord. And at the very beginning of the book, this is kind of his summary treatise of what the book is about. He says this. He says, I want you to rejoice in this strange paradox that the gospel frees us from fear and gives us fear. It frees us from our crippling fears, giving us instead a most delightful, happy, and wonderful fear. And I want to clear up that off-putting phrase, the fear of God, to show through the Bible that for Christians, it really does not mean being afraid of God. You see what his argument is. There is a healthy fear of the Lord, a rightful fear of the Lord, given, given who he is, a holy God before a sinful people, and yet that is the very gateway into our worship and love for God. And that is different from being afraid of God. Jesus wants his disciples to delight in the fear of the Lord, not have a sinful cowering before him, not not one that reveals a lack of faith, but one that reveals a trust in the Savior we, we know on this side of the crucifixion something that the disciples don't know in our passage here in Mark this morning. We know how the story of Mark ends. We've, we've read our Bibles. We, we know what happens at the end of Mark. We know that most pivotal moment in all of human history on the cross. We know that eventually it will be Jesus asking sleeping disciples to wake up. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will once again go to his father over and over again in the midst of a much larger storm brewing at the end of Mark than is brewing here on the Sea of Galilee in Mark 4. Much more danger ahead. The wrath of God is the appending storm, and Jesus, in his anguish in the garden, is asking and wishing and uh, speaking to the disciples to wake up and support him. Why are you sleeping? And yet, they don't. They don't wake up. We also know that Jesus is the greater Jonah, who, while is not thrown off this boat here in Mark 4, Uh, They do not toss Jesus over the edge of the boat here on the storm, but we know he's the greater Jonah because he will be on the cross thrown in to a sea of death. And we know it's on the cross where he rebuked not wind and waves, but he rebuked death itself. He calmed everything on the cross. He brought peace to our hearts. This is the piece that Philippians talks about that is beyond our understanding at times, that we, in our hearts, could be filled with a supernatural peace that was achieved on the cross of Christ, that we now have peace with him and peace with others. 
And what we know that the disciples did not know at this time is that Jesus, after he is crucified, will be raised from the dead and then ascended into heaven and one day will return. And when he returns, we read in Revelation 4 that he will be on a throne sitting upon a sea of glass. And we will see him on this tranquil, eternal, joyful, and peaceful sea of glass, and it's meant to set apart from what we experience so much in our day to day. That tranquility, that eternal joy, that eternal peace is set apart from the turmoil of the fallen world that we live in now. In crisis, we are called to confidence in Christ. And until he does return, we will experience suffering this is something I was telling the group uh, before our service. We, we gather in the back every week uh, to pray and consider the text. And, and what I said is that suffering is the great equalizer because nobody has come into this room without having experienced some type of trial or suffering or persecution even in your life. Sometimes we will go through terrible, terrible storms. It's interesting that the same Peter that is terrified in this boat in Mark chapter 4 is the same Peter who will later write in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The fiery trial, the raging storm, the coming crisis. In these times, doubts and fears uh, feel like they're just unavoidable. They come upon us. It's, it's almost like we're being afflicted with this fear and dread. And we do ask in these times, does God care? Jesus, do you care about me? It's in these times that we wonder aloud, is he worthy of my trust? Can I trust him? Friends, he will lead us at times into storms, but he never forsakes us while we're in them. He never will. Some of you the, know this name, uh, Tim Challies. Uh, Tim Challies is a fairly well-known Christian author and blogger. He's written a few books, and he's uh, very proactive online, uh, has several uh, really encouraging blogs and articles. In November of 2020, his uh, otherwise healthy 20-year-old son named Nick collapsed and died while playing recreational sports at his college. And Tim has taken the, the painful occasion that that is in his life to be incredibly uh, freely sharing, self-revealing about this suffering that he is going through in his life. Uh, he's written many articles about this trauma for himself and his family. And one article that he posted one month after Nick's death is titled, I Fear God, and I'm afraid of God. I fear God, and I'm afraid of God. And he writes this. I want to quote some of this article. He says, We live best when we live with a healthy fear of God. So I do fear God, but these days I'm also finding myself afraid of God. I fear him in the sense, in that sense of rightly assessing his power, his abilities, his sovereignty, but I'm also afraid of the ways he may exercise them. 
It was, after all, just a month ago that God exercised his sovereignty in taking my son to himself. My life of ease and privilege was interrupted by a loss so great I would have never allowed myself to even imagine it. In one moment, God delivered a blow that staggered me, that very nearly crushed me. Perhaps the reality is that I fear God in a new way. Before, I understood he had power, but now I know he has power. Before, I knew God would exercise his power in giving what I love, but now I know God will also exercise his power in taking what I love. Before, life was easy because God's sovereignty always seemed inclined toward the things I wanted anyway, but now life is hard because I see that God's sovereignty may also be inclined toward the things I dread, the things I would never wish for. I've chosen to, to, submit, to, my, to submit myself to that sovereignty, to continue to pray, thy will be done. But even as I pray, I cringe just a little. I pray the words with little faith and some hesitation. Clearly, seeing you, knowing so many of your stories, clearly some of us have been through terrible storms. Some of us may even right now be going through incredible affliction and crisis. And if we're not doing that now, we know because of what we've been talking about, living in this world, that we will face storms and crises. We will walk through painful losses. We will have to navigate health scares. We will be coming in contact with marital infidelity damaged friendships, job insecurities. And maybe, if that's you, you would confess with Tim Challies that you are afraid of God. Maybe it's a moment of honesty that would bring you to say those words out loud. Have you ever been afraid of God? Might, might I assure us all in this moment that a little faith is faith. A little faith is faith. It might be uh, a mustard seed, like we read last week, a faith that will, uh, by God's grace, grow into a healthy fear of the Lord. Maybe you think Jesus is being harsh with the disciples here in Mark 4. After all, this is a really scary storm, and why is he seemingly angry at them for being afraid? But notice, and be encouraged that Jesus does not give up on the disciples. He does not cast them out of the boat into the storm. He bears with them just like he bears with us. Are you afraid of God? In faith, do you see God as sovereign and good and trustworthy, but you're having a really hard time? He bears with us. A bruised reed he will not break. A fainting burning wick he will not quench. In faith, which is a gift from God, even when that faith is flickering, even when you feel like it is about to go out, in faith, in mustard seed faith, we can remember Jesus' promise to us. And here's the promise. Here is the promise. Let's go across to the other side. 
That's what Jesus has said to us. That's the promise. That's a sure and steady promise that Jesus will never renege on. That's the promise that we'll always be faithful to. He has told me and you, let's go to the other side. Do you trust that he'll get you there? Do you know that he cares for you even in the midst of a storm? He has said to all of us, let us go to the other side. Listen to Isaiah 43. This is God speaking to you and me. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Friends, we will get to the other side. Even in the midst of all of life's storms and all of the crises that we will experience, we will get to the other side. Who then is this? That's the question, right? Who then is this Jesus? Who is this king? Well, he is our, he is our savior. He is our brother. He is the one who as we even heard in Colossians chapter one that Kyle read over us at the very beginning of our service, he is the one who holds all things together, who controls every cell in our body and all the stars in the sky, and he cares for us deeply. And we can trust him in the storm. Let's pray. Father, we, we do confess that at times of doubt, at times of great suffering, it, at the moments in our lives that knock us on our back, that we can be afraid, much like the disciples here in this story. Much like the disciples in, in this storm, that we, we uh, are led to ask the question whether or not you care for us and whether or not we can trust you. But praise be to God that we see in the person of Jesus Christ that the answer to both of those questions is a resounding yes. That you, because you love us, and because you've invited us into this love story, went to the cross for us. That you were cast into the sea of turmoil, death itself, but have come out on the other side victorious. You have calmed the storm. You have brought an everlasting peace. And we can trust you, and we know you care for us, because we can look at the cross and be encouraged and reassured. So help us. Help us even in a faith that is flickering. Help us even in faith that seems to be faltering. Even when we are more afraid of you than have this healthy fear of the Lord that leads us to glorious worship. This is your work. Will you, Spirit, do this work? Move us from being afraid of you to having a right and healthy fear of you knowing this is the place that we experience the loving kindness of Jesus Christ. I pray for my friends who have walked through seasons of incredible uh, suffering and trial and maybe walking through it now and certainly uh, resolve our hearts knowing that there will be more suffering until you come again. We pray that we would remember that you are good and you are helping us to see you more clearly through your word and by the power of the Spirit. We ask that you would help us. 
we believe help our unbelief. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.